Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's open up our Bibles together. We are in 2 Samuel, if you're visiting. We've been working our way through both 1 and 2 Samuel, so we're getting uh, near the end. That is 2 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, we will, it's a, it's a very long uh, chapter. We're going to read it as we unpack it, but we are in 2 Samuel chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, please pick one up on the resource table so you can follow along with us. Uh, if you've ever been to an award show, often in, in a lot of award shows there are some lifetime achievement awards uh, where they're, they're celebrating the body of work for somebody. We see this in the entertainment world. We see it in the athletic world, politics, business, uh, academics, you name it, there's often that person. And, and if you've ever been to one of those or you've watched them, one of the things that they do is they go out of their way to underscore the worthiness of the person receiving the award. Uh, it's like superlatives after superlatives, little stories about the individual. Uh, and if you've ever been to that, you, you, one, you're amazed by the person. It almost seems too good to be true. Uh, also, if you're the person, you'll notice those individuals often are a little uncomfortable by all the praise, all the adoration. It's, it's, it's a little too much, it seems, sometimes in those. But what we see in those is, is there's an underscoring of the worthiness of the recipient. In other words, it's more than lip service. It's more than just somebody talking up an individual, this individual, this person is really worthy of the praise. They deserve this. And what we see in chapter 22 of 2 Samuel is that God is worthy of the praise. It's a psalm celebrating uh, God for who he is. It is really looking at the body of work of God in the life of David. It's a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. It's a glimpse of the kingdom. And it really is this reinforcing what we've seen time and again in First and Second Samuel. And that is this, that God is the rock of our salvation. God is the rock of our salvation. Well, as we unpack the psalm, I want us to look at four actions of the rock. Four, four ways we see God manifest his worthiness in our lives today. Uh, first of all, we're going to see the God who hears. We're going to see the God who hears, that God is not uh, blind to your suffering. He is not uh, ignorant of what you're going through. God hears your cries. He answers your cries. Secondly, we're going to see the God who honors. We're going to see that God honors faithfulness, that we don't earn our way before God, but there is a sense that as we honor him, he will honor us. Third, we're going to look at the God who helps, that God is the one that empowers, up, uh, empowers us. God is the one that intervenes in our life to give us victory and success. And then lastly, we're going to see the God who holds. We're going to see the God who holds. He is the one who really is uh, worthy of our praise. He is the one who is constantly protecting and providing for us. So let's get started as we see the God who hears, as we see the God who hears. And we'll pick up at verse four. We will come back to one to three a little bit later. 
Now, now we need to make a couple points. One, 2 Samuel 22 reappears in the Bible at Psalm 18. So it is Psalm 18. There are some slight variations between the two, but generally speaking, Psalm 18 is 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22 is Psalm 18. The other thing is, as we've talked about, this is an epilogue. So the last uh, chapters of 2 Samuel are this epilogue, and they're broken up. It's, it's Hebrew poetry, uh, this chiastic structure. So we have, if you know anything about it, and I've referenced it before when we looked at other places in the Bible, but we have A, B, C, right below it, C1, B1, A1. So things parallel. So A1 will parallel with A. Uh, well, A for us was Saul's sin with the Gibeonites. And we're going to see A1 is going to be David's sin with the census. Last week, we saw David's mighty men, that'd be A, and we're going to see David's mighty men again in, or B, in B1. And then in the middle is today's passage and next week's, actually not next week's passage, we'll be going a little bit later because of Easter. Uh, we're going to do a, a brief series for Easter. But when we come back to 2 Samuel, we'll be looking at the last words of David. But the point in the chiastic structure is what is in the middle is the focus. What is in the middle is the emphasis, the heart of the epilogue. And what we're going to see today is at the heart. It's really the God of, of David's life. Uh, we, we don't know when this was written. Again, remember, it's not necessarily chronological. It does appear, though, on this one specifically, we probably have a pretty good idea. It's after Israel has been united, that David is over a, a kingdom is, is probably the case. It's probably pre-Absalom and, and Bathsheba and all of that because everything kind of went haywire and chaos from that point. And he's going to talk about really uh, a time of peace and celebration as a result. So let's pick up at verse 4. We're going to go through 4 uh, through verse 20. He says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. We're actually going to stop there. We'll read as we go. Because uh, I, I want to stress, notice the distress that he's speaking of here. That he has the waves of death, they've encompassed him, the torrents of destruction, they've assailed him, the cords of Sheol entangled him, the snares of death confronted him. He is in a legitimate time of despair. I know people are down in Florida now in the next several weeks because of spring break and that. If you've ever been to the beaches of Florida, there are often signs, and on the signs, they'll usually warn you about a rip tide or a rip current. If you know what I'm talking about, uh, let, let me explain for those that don't. Uh, a rip current is, is a current that will inevitably drag you back out into open water. Kind of scary. Especially with children, as a parent, you got to keep an eye because it, when it happens, it's very difficult to resist and fight. You can't swim against it. You got to have to swim off to the side until you get out of the riptide. Well, David is explaining kind of his life right now in the moment as he's looking back, as he's reminiscing, as he's reflecting. He was in a time where he was kind of sucked into a riptide of despair that death 
uh, the torrents of destruction. It was really bad. First Samuel 20, verse 3, if you remember, he's talking with Jonathan as they're parting ways. Listen to what he says. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but one step between me and death. And I think that's important for us to hear. That you and I, we vary in what our circumstances and situations are. We maybe not feel the, the weight of us being one step from our death, but you might feel like you're in that riptide, that things are going awry in your life. Financially, you're just not sure how you guys are going to pay the bills next week. Relationally speaking, there's, uh, there's strife and drama in your marriage or maybe in, in parenting with your children. Whatever the case may be, you might feel like, God, this is so overwhelming to me. Well, David can relate with you. He gets it. But now he notices the stress, notices this direction, verse 7. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry came to his ear. So what was David's default when life was falling apart before his very eyes? Where'd he go? Vertically. He went to God. He, he cried out to God. He pleaded with God. He realized that my only hope is in the Lord, is in Yahweh. And I think that's something for us to learn, right? That, should need, that needs to be our, our response to the trials and the tribulations in life. Because I know a lot of us, when trials and tribulations come, our default is let's fix it. I will figure out a way to remedy the problem. Or if we don't try to fix it ourselves, we have people in our lives that will help us fix it, Right? I'll go to that friend or, or that family member and they'll help me fix the problem. And I'm not saying those things aren't bad to think through, uh, to have solutions, to have people in your life. But first and foremost, where do we need to go? To Yahweh. And David did that. But then notice not only his direction, notice his deliverance. Go on verse 8 with me. It says, Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him as canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, the coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. And the Lord Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Notice how dramatic of fashion that David recalls God's rescue and deliverance. What book in the Bible does this language sound like? Anybody? It's an early book in the Bible. It's not Genesis. Exodus. 
Isn't that Exodus language that he's speaking of? He's, he's using language of, of God delivering Egypt out of, uh, uh, the, out, of Exod, out of Egypt, the promised land, him parting the sea. It, it's God delivering, not only in that capacity, we see that language of thunder and lightning when God gave them the law on Mount Sinai. So it's, it's this really dramatic fashion. But you and I, we've been reading First and Second Samuel, right? How many dramatic deliverances have we seen David delivered from so far? Like dramatic. The answer is not, not, it's never looked that dramatic. Not like David's talking with God's nose snorting and anger and just fire and lightning and, and thunder. We haven't seen that necessarily as much. And I think what we, we're, we're meant to see is as David looks back, as David sees the deliverance, his, his defining of it, his interpretation of it, is that was God. Because sometimes we don't believe, realize something was done until after the fact. I remember early on in the life of the church, we were much smaller, and my father-in-law was not at church one Sunday, and everything falls apart. Because early on in that, he did a bunch of stuff I didn't know he did. And like, I would look, and I'm like, why is that not done? And then we realized, oh, Joe does that. And then we're going a little bit later, and something else wasn't done. Who did that? Well, Joe does that. And like, you, you realize, oh, I had no idea he did all of those different things. Well, David's kind of looking back, and he's seeing all those events. I mean, imagine some of his deliverance. One of the earliest deliverances that we see of David is Saul is mad, wild, crazy. He picks up his spear, and what does he do? Remember? He chucks it at David, and what happens? David manages to avoid it and misses it. David looks back at that moment and like, that was God coming down from heaven. That was God saving me. That was God rescuing and delivering me. Another example, he is on the cusp. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Saul is closing in on him is what the scriptures say. And then out of nowhere, just before he gets to David, Saul gets word that the Philistines are attacking. We need to address this. Saul leaves, David is protected. Once again, David looks back and says, that was God saving and protecting me. And what we see is the same God in Exodus, the same God protecting and delivering uh, David right here is the same God who protects us. And he often uses ordinary means to demonstrate his sovereign hand. Think about that. Think of your own life. Think of all of the ways that God has, has rescued, has delivered you that maybe weren't dramatic, but they were. If you're in a different place, think about how many times the trajectory of your life would have went differently if you don't meet that person. If you don't make that choice and those decisions. Friends, all of those things, understand this please. God's fingerprints are all over them. That's God working. You need to understand that. You need to find comfort in that. that You are here this very moment because God has orchestrated and ordained those events for your good and his glory. So I think with that said, are you in a time of great distress? As you cry out to God, are you expecting his deliverance? Do you see that he has rescued you in the past? He will rescue you in the future. So we see that God, he, he's the God who hears the rock of our salvation through distress, his direction of going to him, the deliverance. Let's now look at the God who honors 
Read verse 21 with me, verses 21 to 28. And they're going to make us a little uncomfortable. It says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the way of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him. I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful, you show merciful. You show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself more seem torturous. You save a humble person, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. First thing we need to do is what is David not saying? Because I think the Hebrew language and English, they don't necessarily go uh, in in unison well with one another. And when we read that, if you're a, a good student of the word, what David just said makes you feel really uncomfortable. I'll never forget we were at a high school graduation and the valedictorian speech. It's usually pretty predictable. Kind of try to be maybe some comedy, upbeat, same time try to inspire the individual. But this particular one, and I will never, ever forget it, the valedictorian, he said, I am up here and you're not because I am smarter than you and I worked harder than you. I'm like, I was, I was like, how, how many valedictorians have thought that and wanted to say it, but this dude had the nerve, he had the, he's like, I'm just going to throw it out there and see if it's six. I was like, whoa. It, it was, yeah, from there, it, was, it went all downhill. Well, we hear David saying this, and it almost feels that way, doesn't it? It's like, is David bragging about how awesome he is? My righteousness? The cleanness of my hands? I've kept your ways. I haven't departed. Now, we read that first of all, and we're like, whoa, David. There's this woman named Bathsheba. So let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Probably wrote this actually prior to his sin with Bathsheba. But with that said, even pre-Bathsheba, David, is that genuinely true? That he's righteous? That he uh, has never departed from the ways of the Lord? Like he's kept all of God's statutes? So, so I think when we read something, we hear something like that, we need to zoom out a little bit. We need to look at all of Scripture. Does the all of Scripture, is there anybody besides Jesus that can be characterized and defined by that kind of idea of, of faultless and blameless, perfectly and simple? No. No. What we read in the Bible is that all of our, our best deeds are but what before God? Filthy rags. Paul stresses in Philippians, and this is very important when we start talking about the language of righteousness, that you and I, we do not have a righteousness of our own that makes us uh, worthy and able to stand before God. Philippians 3.8, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
So before we move on, I want to be very clear with what David is not saying. He is not saying that God is rewarding him because he is perfect. That God is blessing him because he is faultless. He is, he is, no, that's, it, David needed Jesus. David needed a king pre-Bathsheba. David still needed a savior. So don't be mistaken. Uh, we all need the righteousness of Christ. The whole song, as a matter of fact, points towards King Jesus. We need help. So you and I, when we stand one day before God, our only hope is that we have the righteousness of Jesus clothing us. So please understand. So that's what he's not saying. What is he saying? I think what he is saying is that God rewards faithfulness. Where it talks about sinless, it's not the idea, or blameless and and according to righteousness, it's not the idea of sinlessness. It's the idea of wholeness of integrity. It's the idea of being faithful. It's the idea of, of being blameless. It's probably directed actually to one specific element with David's life at the time. It would make sense. And it was David's dealings with who? He could have killed him how many times? Like a billion times. And he kept not killing Saul. Why? Because it was Saul, God's anointed was Saul, and I'm not going to take matters into my hand, in my own hands. I will not. And I, I think he's, he was faithful there. Elsewhere, we see that same kind of language in the book of Job. Satan is, is in conversation with God, and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So is he saying that Job is perfect? No, he's not. But what he's saying is he's a man of integrity. He is a man who keeps his word. He is a man who is honoring of me. And what, what David is then communicating to us, and in light of those realities, God rewards faithfulness. That God honors is this sense of reaping and sowing. I mean, we are aware of that, right? We reap what we sow. Let's imagine you're on a diet. You eat a bunch of unhealthy food, you step on the scale the following week, and your weight goes up. Is it a shock? It's not. It, it, it still shocks me every time, but I'm like, those brownies were that much weight? That cake, those cookies? I'm like, man. I'm, and I always, my, my defense is always, it's, I'm retaining water. I was like, must be just retaining water. I've got a whole lot of water some days. He's saying that. He's the idea that God is rewarding. He's reaping as a result. But understand this. Even that is not earning. There's an element of grace, an element of mercy that God is still blessing him. Because we're going to see the rest of the psalm is constantly pointing towards God. So don't take these few verses and say what David is saying is that we earn favor with God and God rewards us. It's, it, even the reward is, is grace. Deuteronomy 28 speaks of blessing and cursings from obedience I think one of the things that, it, it, to be honest with you, when we read this, what is even sadder of all of it is that there was a time when David was truly faithful. And David could say that because it, as we've seen in 2 Samuel, it's really depressing. From the time of Bathsheba on, David is a hot mess. And it, to know that there was a time when he could, with, with clear conscience, go before God and say, man, I have been upright. So that's a warning to all of us. Uh, take heed, you know, in pride, lest you fall. 
Well, do you strive for faithfulness? Are you a man or a woman of integrity? Are you driven to honor the Lord? Think about that in your choices you make, the things that you do. At the end of the day, do you want to honor God in your life? So we saw the God who hears. We saw the God who honors. Let's now look at the God who helps. Uh, The God who helps. Look at verse 29. It says, For you are my light, O Lord, and my, my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He has made my feet like the feet of a deer and has set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle and made those who, I, who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me, I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me, and as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Notice this God who helps. First of all, notice his allowance. Notice the emphasis on the part of God's dealings. Did you notice the difference when he kept saying, and you did this, and then I, and you, and then, or, and God, and I. It was just this constant focus. The emphasis was that, that God allowed, that there's an equipping that goes on. I'm a big superheroes and uh, fan and like one of my favorites always been Captain America. And if you know any bit of the story of Captain America, he was a good guy, but he was a small, weak guy. And he was given the serum and the serum equipped him and made him, now he was still that good guy, but now he had abilities that he was not able to do. Now that's not a direct comparison to you and I, because we weren't the good guy. But there is this equipping that takes place. There is an empowerment that goes on in the life of the believer because of the Holy Spirit, because of God's work, that you and I are able to make a difference in this world. He is working through us. 2 Corinthians 1.21, it says, It is God who establishes us with Christ and has anointed us, who has put us his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And then there's this dependence that takes place. Uh, we sometimes use it as our benediction, Ephesians 13, 22. May he equip you with everything good that you may be able to do his will, working in us which what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So there's a, there's a comfort, there's an encouragement for you and I that we don't do this in our own strength. 
That when I come up here on a Sunday morning to preach God's word, if it was resting in my ability, my ingenuity, my creativeness, my ability to change your lives, I would not come up because that would be so intimidating, so overwhelming. I would, I would be in a state of despair, but I can come up with confidence. I can come up with assurance because I've got God's word and I've got God's spirit and I know that he can and does work through ordinary means to communicate to his people. And we see this with David. He's, he's celebrating, man, God is the one who's done what he's done in and through me. Because not only his allowance, he, he does take note of the accomplishments. And what we see, though, in all of them is the eyes are flowing from the use. Uh, he, in verse 34, for example, he made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure. He gave me. He, he, he did this. It's giving credit. I, my, my mom, I remember growing up listening to the country music a lot. Did not like country music growing up. But there was one particular song. I remember the lyrics. It went, I got to give credit where credit is due. I thank the bank for the money and I thank God for you. I have no idea why that song has stuck in my mind 40 years later, but it's there. It's probably going to be there the rest of the day. It's going to be in some of your heads the rest of the day. You're welcome. But notice the idea that giving credit where credit is due, that God gets credit for the work in our lives. John, John 14, 4, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think we have a danger. I think we have a tendency sometimes, even as Christians, that we like to take credit where credit is not due. We like to um, pat ourselves on the back. We have successes and we kind of, we end up being the valedictorian. I'm kind of up here because I'm smarter than y'all and I, I kind of worked harder and Reality, and we kind of do that. Like we get, we get, we get patted on the back. I remember Charles Spurgeon, phenomenal preacher, a historical person. Somebody told him how amazing he was after a particular sermon, and he looked the guy in the eye, and he basically said, "Satan whispered the same thing in my ear when I came off from the pulpit." Like you don't want to, you don't want to believe the drink the Kool Aid. You don't want to believe that. We need to understand that that anything good that you all are doing in your lives, at the end of the day, it's God working in and through you. So He should get the credit. He should get the the glory. But I think also it should encourage us that we can do great things because of Christ. I think we often look at the the mountains and the obstacles in life, and they just we're overwhelmed. Like I I can't do anything in Jesus. You can do a whole lot. It's not about you. It's about what God does in and through you. Do you see your weakness apart from Christ? Do you thank him for the work in your life? So we see, yeah, he's the God who hears. He's the God who honors. He's the God who helps. Lastly, I want us to see the God who holds. Let's go back to verse 1. That's why I saved this for later because I think it's, it's so powerful what he says. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He's my God. He's my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield, the horn of my salvation, 
my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Then go down to verse 47. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down people under me, who brought me out of my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to to David and his offspring forever. First of all, notice who he is. Notice who this God is. He is a God worthy of praise. Uh, We have a a problem with our younger kids when it comes to pouring stuff. Anybody can relate? Anybody? I like that they're becoming more and more independent. I don't like that the independence leads to dependence when I have to come in or Abby has to come in and clean up after them. Because there's a tendency, two, two particular pourings that we have problems, drinks. They're able to defy science and physics, and they're able to pour slightly above the rim of the cup. One of them's looking right at me, smiling. And like, in some I'm watching, I'm like, I don't even know how it's not spilling already. But I also know the moment you stand up, the moment your hand moves, it's going all over the, the place. It's, you, you, you're, you're, you're too filled up. It's, it's overflowing. What we see in David in Psalm 18, Allah, 2 Samuel 22, is his heart is filled like one of my kids' cups with praise. You see it throughout the whole thing. I mean, I would encourage you later, before you go to bed, read this whole psalm in its entirety in one flow. And it is filled with these superlatives about God. I mean, this is the warrior king who doesn't rest in his ability, but rests in the protection of God. Psalm 62, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. In the words of the very famous hymn, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And that's the God who we worship. That's the God who loves us and holds us and cares for us. And I think what we probably need to do a better job of is reflecting on and meditating on that guy. Andy and I were talking this week, and and as we were talking and meeting, uh, we, we, we did kind of just talk about the idea that sometimes why are we not more excited about the Lord? Why are we not more enthralled with him? We can get so caught up in a movie, we can get so excited by a hobby, we can be so uh, anticipating a sports event, but God, who's delivered us from darkness, God who has rescued us from sin, God who has assured us a place in heaven, it, it can sometimes feel like, that's kind of cool, you know, it's, and, and I think part of the problem is that we don't reflect on God enough. We don't consume enough Godward material. We don't, we don't spend enough time reflecting in the scriptures. We don't spend enough time in prayer. And instead, we reflect on those other things. And as a result, God is boring to us. But that's not the God who we worship. But not only uh, who God is, what he does. Did you, 
did you take note of just the emphasis on God uh, delivering and protecting full circle? Now, 1 Samuel, second chapter, if you remember, there was a song. Who was the song by? Hannah. Hannah. And if you remember that psalm, 1 Samuel 2.10, it, let, it ended with this. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So Hannah's looking ahead. There's no king at that time, remember? And she's looking forward to this king that's going to come. And now David, kind of going full circle, is looking back and seeing that God has led to there finally being a king. But then there's also a sense with David, he is looking ahead to another king who's going to come from his line. But the point being, in the midst of all of this, God has remained faithful. Verse 51, we've used this word many times through the first and second Samuel. It says that he shows steadfast love. Does anybody remember what the Hebrew word was? Hesed, covenant love, covenant faithfulness. That God keeps promises. Right now, one of the things we're seeing in our society and culture, there's been some issues with banks. Banks kind of going bankrupt, which is not good. And, and there's closing and like all these problems. And current banks then are, are, are very concerned that their customers are going to start panicking. And pull their money. So they say, hey, your money's safe with us. We promise, you know, we promise when you entered into this relationship with us. And we promise to keep your money safe through the extent of our relationship. Will that happen? Won't it? We'll see. But with God, he is the promise keeper. God makes good on his promises. Notice what it says. He shows this hesed love to David and to his offspring forever. And we can sing that too. Zechariah 9.9. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Who is that prophetic word speaking of? Say his name with me, everybody. Jesus. And that's what David is celebrating, that God has finally brought a king. He has been so faithful in my life, but it's also prophetically looking forward that God's faithfulness is going to find its fulfillment in a king through my line. And that king is going to be King Jesus. Do you rejoice in this Hesed love? Do you long for and look towards Jesus? I know we, we've done this before uh, as, as parents with the grandparents. We've, we've made uh, picture books, I think through Shutterfly. Uh, and what those books tend to often be, grandparents will often call them brag books. It's a chance to celebrate, to show pictures to all your coworkers and friends who probably don't really care to see them that much. But they're going to get to see them. Because that's what we do like when we brag. We, we, we like to, to boast and brag. I know I'm guilty of that. I do, like especially with my kids. I, and maybe sometimes my motive is like, look at how awesome of a parent I am. Which is debatable. But you know what I mean? Like we, we like to brag. I, we were here one night playing basketball and my one son dominated all these men. I'm telling people like he just got drafted by the NBA. And they're like, that's great. He played really good pickup ball at the Y. I'm like, but you don't understand how good it was. Uh, we, we, we brag like that. We brag about test scores. We, we, we like to celebrate. 
But the truth is, when we brag about other people in our lives, there is a degree of biasness, is there not? It's skewed. My son missed a couple of shots that night, to be honest. He could have passed the ball better to me because I was playing out there with him. So it wasn't perfect, you understand? But like when we brag about God, is there any, if anything, we're underselling God. Like no matter how amazing our celebration of God is, it's not really hitting it. It's, it's, it's attempting and I think that's what we see with David. And I, and I hope and pray that you and I would start becoming braggers of God. That we'd be boasters of what the Lord has done. That, that he's worthy of our gratitude and praise. That no matter what is going on in your life right now, as you look at the big thing, picture, as you see what God has accomplished in your salvation, you have a reason to celebrate. I remember this one guy in college, he would always say, when you would ask him how he was doing, he'd always say, I'm doing better than I deserve. And isn't that true for all of us? Two points of application. I think we need to reflect more on who God is and what he's done. We need to take the time. We need to meditate. We need to be still. We need to dig into his word. We need to slow down. Satan's not always going to just, you know, do these major ways of bringing sin into your life. But man, he's really good at distracting us. So we need to reflect on God. And then secondly, we need to rejoice. We need to respond in worship. Sing a new song. Allow your heart to be gripped by the hesed love of the Lord. There's this one song I've been listening to, and I, I just, I love the chorus. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory. Hallelujah. You have torn the, our part the sea. You have led me through the deep. Hallelujah. And I've been trying to get a, in that habit in the morning of just praise the Lord for what you've done in my life. And going to bed, praise the Lord and what you're doing in my life. He has given us our exodus through Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now. We thank you uh, for the gospel. We thank you uh, ultimately for what you have accomplished in Jesus Christ. Uh, we just pray, God, that we would become a people who are, are recognized for, uh, for characterized by our hearts of gratitude. Uh, like a cup overflowing with liquid, uh, we pray that our hearts would overflow with praise. That whether uh, we're in a good time or a bad time, whether life is falling apart or we're standing on top of that mountain, uh, Lord, help us to be a people uh, that give you the praise that is yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond as we sing about the goodness of God.